When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it Wednesdays here at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and you. Plenty uh, of uh, reflection time, right? Some of us went into timeout yesterday. There were tantrums a plenty. I get it. You love Nebraska football. You're frustrated about transfers and exodus and the uh, proverbial is the sky falling question. We, we hit on it a little bit yesterday. More the reaction about the transfers and the big picture part of the program. We'll spend some time with Mike Babcock, Hale Varsity Extraordinaire, Magazine, N.com, Hall of Famer, author, historian. We'll talk some ball with Babbers coming up. Shuey. Now, I saw some of the folks out at Wilderness did a little snow golf or there was some sort of uh, Twitter pick that, um, well, this was before 8,000 feet of snow. But uh, I guess the last dusting. So we'll see if if Shuey's building a snowman or just taking his driver and lopping the heads of snowmen off in frustration with Nebraska football. Brad Edwards, college football insider. Get his take on uh, some of the national topics and also the portal itself. Uh, And uh, Josh Heupel is uh, headed off to Tennessee. So that's where the Vols went with that. Open phones for you. Uh, now and also at 525, you want to get in at 466-3776-800-825-5865. can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com and find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio for Chris Schmidt at Herbal Essence for Elijah, who's getting serious. He's taking his jacket off and we'll get a jock doc on just how badass Cole Beasley is with a broken fibula playing three uh three games with it okay let's uh dive in let's let's try and 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 figure out the blame game right because you've assessed you've reacted some have knee jerked and it's the, the the program's on fire or who cares their backups and while you're on your way out the door, good luck and God bless, because thanks for your time and effort. I mean, that 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 was a, a positive narrative, because I saw that on, on McCaffrey's Twitter timeline. Hey, dude, go kill it. Get it done. Best of luck. I mean, that was that was the response. I think more times than not, Nebraska fans are, are, are very appreciative and thankful and, and well-wishing if someone leaves. Uh the guy who gets most of the venom is is J.D. Spielman for for his departure, right? And 
that that isn't cool, right? Just just like the small percentage that go after recruits. I mean, there's there's no perfect fan, right? There's no perfect fan base. You're always going to have a few uh, fanatics that go that direction and, and take it personally. So I look at this and, and we're trying to figure out, you know, how, how, A, can you stop this from happening? The answer is no, because the NCAA is the NCAA. And I think Coach Kaz put it perfectly when it comes to what they're trying to oversee. They're a lot like the IRS. And I'm paraphrasing. Go back and listen to Kaz's interview on the, uh, the on-demand section, ESPNLincoln.com. But he's right. Think about your dealings with the IRS. I had a lot of them. I had a ton of them. And uh, my wife and I would, would pay in a lot. And I would spend two hours on the phone, on hold, trying to set up direct payments. Right? I need to, to, to pay what I owe you guys. So let's set up 150 bucks a month. Let's try and knock that, that number down. And it was more of a general contractor thing element that I had to pay in on, right? So long and short of it is the NCAA is trying to govern uh, a ton of things. And, oh, yes, by the way, keep their power and keep their paycheck. They are not able to leverage much anymore because there is a threat at some point where you have all the Habs, the Power Fives, they can all break off and do their own thing. The only thing the NCAA controls right now is the NCAA tournament, and they'll go slap you in the face if you pay players. But as we've seen in college basketball, Duke and Arizona and Kansas and some of these other reported FBI sting issue teams, they're still playing, right? They're not playing real well right now during the pandemic, but they're, they're not missing the NCAA tournament, to my knowledge. They'll miss it on their own, not because of the NCAA. With the NCAA, they want to keep college football as an amateur sport while making and making and, and cooping billions and millions of dollars off of, of college students. Bigger debate, different day on you know compensation for student athletes but they are they are caving they are negotiating and one way that they're able to kind of keep their power right now is by allowing this this portal right well we can't we can't penalize kids uh they should be able to move on and they're having this this one-time transfer opportunity and and that's going to be the norm the pandemic is a whole different story and it's it's free agency it's open season and the bigger problem is you know what type of kid is coming up to your college and it's more normal for kids to be able to access a transfer option because there's no penalty right there's been a penalty for years and years and years in the past you want to leave fine you it costs you a year that's not the case anymore so Back in the day, if if Brooke Behringer wanted the transfer and he thought about it, it would have cost him one season. Red shirt or not, it would have burnt one season. That was a big-time deterrent. There's no more deterrent. And are you finding kids that are willing to stick it out, grind it out, wait their turn, put the time, get developed, listen to their coaches, understand that they don't have it all? Here's the other problem. You've got the portal with no consequence, 
and and you're going to have, and I don't think this is the case for for the the three kids who left Nebraska yesterday. But you also have outside influences, right? Coach Eckler said it Friday. Kids are influenced by different things now. And and you've got people in kids' ear. You've always kind of had that, but now you have no repercussion if you want to leave. If you don't think you're getting a fair shake or you think you can go do better somewhere else. Listen, to me, this this is all about could 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 coaching be better at Nebraska right now? Yeah. Could they win more games? Could they be more buttoned up? Sure. That's going to cure a lot of things. When Nebraska uh, has a, a successful season, when Nebraska beats some teams they're air quote supposed to beat, when Nebraska takes down somebody they're not supposed to beat. Once that starts happening, things will be okay. Uh, you have a, a situation where kids will hang in because they're having success or they're seeing success, more importantly. With this portal, I mean, it, 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 all bets are off. It's, it, it's a total crapshoot, and the minute there's some adversity, you're gone. And, and that's the true problem. It's not just the coaches, and it's not necessarily just the players, because they have this option. And there's no one there that they're listening to, a lot of times, telling them no. There's some transfers that have worked out okay. I mean, Randy Moss got kicked out of two schools and Marshall worked out for him. Russell Wilson was on a horrible football team and as a grad transfer killed it at Wisconsin, needed some help around him. I'm trying to think of other transfers that... I mean, the, the big one I can think of is Joe Burrow. Thank you. Was going there next. But Joe Burrow. And if push comes to shove... I mean, Haskins was a really good quarterback, and he was a first-round pick, but is Ohio State, if they had it to do over again, would they have maybe rechecked Burrow? I mean, again, history, whatever, but Burrow's perfect, right? And, 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 And Burrow was a guy that put his time in. It was three and a half years. It's going into his fourth season. Right and said, bro, I can't, I can't beat out this guy, or I'm not going to beat out this guy, and the only way I'll play is due to injury. I mean, how I see it is just in modern sports, loyalty is just an, a word in the dictionary. I mean, look at what these guys have had as their influences. Cam Newton transferred. That's another guy. Uh, you have Cam Newton got kicked out for stealing a laptop from Florida. He was backing up Tebow. Yeah, but he still went and made his name elsewhere, and it, it was fine for him. And then you can even look at, at pro sports. You have LeBron James and his decision to go jump ship and go for, somewhere for else. Free agency, sure. You but, have, he, have, but he ended up coming home to win a title for Cleveland, too. Exactly, but you have all these influences on these kids of these guys going and making the right choice for them. They want to go play with their friends. They want to go play in South Beach, whatever. And, and it's working out for these guys, and that's the influences that these kids are seeing as they're going through high school and they're getting to college. And then they get to college and think, man, this isn't the right place for me. This isn't the right situation. I'm not playing. I want to play. And it's worked out well for these pro athletes, these other high-level college athletes you to go elsewhere. You just said the key word, brother, pro. Mm-hmm. You are good enough to be pro. And those guys, aside from LeBron, who's freakish, incredible. I mean, you want to talk about delivering on hype, being on Sports Illustrated cover when you're 17, the pressure of having to be the next amazing phenom. He's delivered and then some. He's it. Him and Garnett. Him and Kobe. I mean, there's three. There's three dudes you can count of in the basketball world of examples. Being as every every inch as good as advertised mm-hmm. and, and bringing home rings. College football, though. College basketball. 
it is influence. And too many times you're listening to the wrong, wrong influence and you're taking the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Now, going and resetting for a Luke McCaffrey, could he find better quarterback grooming? Maybe. Uh, could he find a situation that will take him at quarterback? Possibly. When push comes to shove, is, is, is Luke McCaffrey going to end up thriving as a specialist guy? Where you can catch it, you can run it, you can return it, and you're not throwing it to yourself. To me, I mean, and if if Luke McCaffrey proves it's all wrong and he lands at a power five or a G five, and kills it at quarterback with some more work, more power to him. But he's a guy that that had his window, and instead of stacking the pens, and this is this is not meaning to sound harsh. But he had his window, right? You could have seized that job. And and you didn't because you just had a bad Illinois game and then things got funky with you. You know, and with, with Farniak and Warner, they'll be really good at a lower level. And they're, they're, they're good locker room guys. All three guys are good locker room guys. That's, that's the thing you should be pissed about if you're a Nebraska fan is what you're losing in the locker room. Because guys respected all three of those guys. And what what this has helped be part of the, the force here when we talk about fixing it and timeline, here's what I think you're going to have with Nebraska. I mean, it's been looking the mirror time. And you've had outrage, and this was your breaking point with Luke McCaffrey uh, leaving. And it's okay to be ticked off about it, but I would look at, at what is there and what it what what's still available for Nebraska? It wasn't, and I'm not trying to crown Corcoran yet, but I liked what I saw in a game. But it wasn't Corcoran or Ben Hart or Jurgens or Adrian or Ty Robinson or Snacks or or Cam Taylor Britt. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. Guys that have done it for an extended period of time, and I know Robinson's just uh, kind of a one-year starter, but my point, it wasn't somebody like that that, that started pretty much full-time last year and you lost on the lines of scrimmage. It, it could have been worse. Now, it doesn't look good because of a McCaffrey. Uh, it doesn't look good because of a Warner. I mean, the, the name and the NFL royalty doesn't look good. But from a contribution standpoint, you should be able to overcome. And I know me as a as a Husker fan looked at Luke McCaffrey and thought that he would have been a better wide receiver for this program anyway. And I think a lot of Husker fans were echoing that same sentiment that from what we saw of him at quarterback, that he would have made a bigger difference. And obviously you never know till you see the guy at wide receiver. But based on what I could see with my own eyes, I thought that guy looks like a receiver. And if he's dead set on being quarterback, I think that we saw through this year that he's not the guy that's going to go unseat Adrian Martinez. So if that is the case, best on him to go out and go get playing elsewhere if he is dead set on being a quarterback. Because if he wants to be a quarterback, I don't think he was the guy that was going to come in and lead Nebraska to glory. Listen, is 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 Luke McCaffrey going to be the guy? Nebraska's not going to win football games throwing the ball 40 times a game, 50 times a game. They're, they're going to be a team that, will be able to hit you off play action, and they're going to need to be a team that runs the football, finds a couple of running backs, and, and, and becomes yet another physical Big Ten rushing attack. You've been a pretty good rushing attack. 
and it's been a little different because it's mostly mainly been quarterback driven. But if you can get a couple of backs coached up with that offensive line, you can start hammering people. Then you can hose them with play action and and throw to some bigger body wide receivers. And it can be okay with your passing attack. You can still throw it on first down. You can still stack a few throws together if you're in rhythm or if guys are getting separation. But listen, what Scott said last Friday and folks kind of like, huh? when it comes to becoming more what they want to be, I think you're going to see a team that's more focused on on the power game, more focused on the run, and they've already ran it, but their style. I think you're going to finally see an identity emerge. You're forced to because that's been like the missing link question. What the hell do they want to be? I think you're going to see them drift towards that zero in and understand how you're going to live and survive in the Big Ten. And you're going to have head coaches paying attention to a lot more things. I think you're going to see that flip. Mike Babcock's next. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Brad Edwards coming up less than an hour. His thoughts on the portal. Tennessee going with Hypel. Father Time just hammers people. That was evident on Twitter. Retweeted this morning. Hypel getting the Tennessee job and listener down in Dallas was wondering if the new Josh Heupel ate the old <laughs> Josh Heupel. We're all a little heavier than we were in 2000. That's all I'm saying. When we interviewed uh, Josh Heupel down at Big uh, Big 12 Media Days, Bob Stoops bought the whole room Budweiser. It was cool. Yeah, I saw an Oklahoma fan on Twitter today who was still mad about Josh Heupel calling a uh, a play out of like his own like within his own five yard line. I think they got a safety out of it or something mm. like that. Well, the Oklahoma fan still remembers Josh Heupel throwing punts up for a touchdown or or several. Like when the last time Nebraska and uh, Oklahoma faced off as number one and number two together, that was the Sooner Championship year. We welcome in Mike Babcock. What a game that was. It started out well for Nebraska in 2000 at OU, didn't it, Babbers? Yeah, yeah. So we forget about that one and we go to, we move ahead to 2001. (laughs) Yes, we do, right? (laughs) You know, it was kind of Nebraska's last hurrah for consistent national relevance, you know? I mean, that's, the Huskers won that game and then that was the same season that uh, ended with the uh, regular season, ended with the Colorado disaster and, and, uh, you know, I think Frank's team the next year started in the top ten rankings uh, for a handful of weeks, and then uh, that was it. Lost a lot of close games in in '02, but they were they were you know top twenty five, top twenty, decent in '03. You know, yeah, yeah. They're just consistently in the national conversation. It kind of, I always felt like two thousand one Oklahoma kind of signaled the. Uh, beginning of the end so that was the last hurrah because that was a that was a great uh, great effort by the huskers that was good the old eric crunch game yep. well mike a uh, lot on our mind here with transfers and the portal and you know backlash towards the program and the uh, the mailbag where the first question to the hail varsity crew was is the sky falling and it, it just seems like the hits keep on coming for the offense On the other side, this is the world we live in in college football, and it's kind of not only who's leaving, but just 
you know, what's leaving. You got some quality character that's on their way out the door to try and find some playing time. But when it comes to, to movement and, you know, defining the fix, you know, I think, I think Nebraska and, and the staff down there, I, I think as tough as next season could be schedule-wise, I think they've had enough reflective time to, to really get organized and, and just be better as a staff and also get better from the kids because, you know, Nebraska, they've been their own worst enemy in a lot of football games. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and you, can't, uh, you, can't have those, uh, you can't have those offsides and, sure. and uh, just you know, movement and, and all that sort of thing, things that you can, you, you can control. Um, and and that are not an example, you know. I, I mean, you can take penalties that are the result of of playing aggressively, you know, mm-hmm. bit, putting into it. But but those the fundamental things that uh, have really hurt Nebraska, and that's you know, y- you look at games and there haven't, you know, there have been games where there haven't been that many penalties, but the ones that are, the ones that have been penalties. Um, have been things that have have really killed drives, and that's that's the thing that you can't you can't do that to yourself. That's for sure. Mike Babcock's with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine at MD Babs on Twitter. So, Babbers, uh, a thought here with uh, you know fixing the program. They're not a finished product yet. If if we're doing the remodel, what is Still, uh, still undergoing that that renovation, and th- does the backyard at least look nice? I mean, what's what's been polished up in your opinion? If we look at kind of a, a pros and cons list here of heading into year four, kind of uh, reeling off of the 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 reaction of the transfers. Well, you know, the, the first of all, the transfer thing. The, the one that surprised me the most was Kate Warner. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, a co-captain. Um, Put him, put him on scholarship in 2020. Um, I, I was really surprised that that uh, that he decided to transfer. Uh, but you know, I respect his decision. I, I and I don't think it's it's not like this is a problem only at Nebraska or a, you know a problem is the right word, but it occurs everywhere and uh, it's a nature of, of the game now um, with the transfer portal and to some degree. You know, you mentioned Josh Heupel's going to. Tennessee. Well, coaches can make moves, and uh, and and so what about the players that they leave behind? You know, there, there's the players have to have some opportunity as well. So you know, from that standpoint, and I'm and I'm always in favor of things that, that benefit the student athlete because I think it's a um, you know it's unfair to allow coaches to move around but not athletes. Um, you know, having said that, uh, I think Nebraska has some. Uh, clean it up to do, I suppose. Um, you know what? What? What's a positive? Um, I, yeah, I just think that you can't get any. You can't get worse um, than what we've seen. Um, you can't. You know, I don't expect a losing record. Probably 500 or a little better um, this season. And uh, you know, people are getting impatient, and that's the thing that I that is difficult for me as well. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, you have to be patient, I think, in these in these times, um, because of things like the transfer portal and and uh, inability maybe to to build up depth at, at some positions in the way that you thought you would be able to do that. But uh, 
you know, you've got an experienced quarterback, you've got an experienced offensive line, you've got a lot of guys coming back on defense. Um, the defense was kind of what uh, what stood out last season uh, in the shortened season. So um, I think there are a lot of reasons to feel like, well, there are, you know, things are going to get better. Um, and, and in terms of fixing it, the, the one question I have is, you know, what is your def- – what is your definition of having been fixed? You know, because we're not going to see the consistent top ten ranking uh, plan for national championship every year sort of thing. That's not going to happen. So what are you going to accept as having been fixed? Mike Babcock with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Mike, now that we know um, the guys that are going to be gone from the offense, I mean, the, the Luke – uh, McCaffrey rumor had been going on for about the past two weeks. Also rumors about Wandale. Uh, and, and now we know that those guys are going to be gone next year. There could still be more on the way. But at the moment, we were discussing a bit in the, the first segment, what do you think the uh, the offense is going to look like next year for Nebraska uh, now that we know who's going to be gone? Well, you know, I don't think you change. I don't think you change the offense because of who's going to be gone. I mean, you try to move forward with what you're planning to do. And you've got some You've got some talent at wide receiver. You've got to have some guys step up there. Um, you've got to establish a, a running game. Um, you got the transfer from from USC at running back coming in, and you've got some young guys. Which you know, a lot of positive things have been said about those guys, but none of them really stepped up to the point where you said, "Well, this is the guy among the, that group that uh, we're going to be looking at." So you know, but there's there's talent there, um, and and maybe one or two of those guys are going to leave after after spring or you know by the spring, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's difficult to say, but experienced quarterback, experience in the offensive line, that's a good place to start on offense and on defense. A lot of good guys uh, coming back, so um, I think there's reason for optimism. But again, how do you want to define what fixing it is? Because I, you know, I look at it. This is probably a 500 team, maybe a little bit better than that. But uh, a bowl game and and uh, one step at a time, and that's a step in the right direction. Babbers, a uh, thought here with with Scott Frost and his sit down with the uh, World Herald and Journal Star, and and with with his duties the, the last three years is is more focused on the offense and, and play calling now as he has delegated uh, a lot of that play calling now to Lubick you have uh, special teams that needs paid attention to head coach can absolutely do that even with an analyst you've got quarterback hands-on involvement Mario can prep him coach will work with him uh, when it comes to uh, some situations that all quarterbacks know and only quarterbacks know. I mean, is it fair that y- you think c- things could get better with, with more hands-on, more attention by the head coach? Well, yeah, yeah, probably, Smitty. I, I think that's, that's, that's possibly the case. I, I, I know that, again, I, I want to put it in some historical context. You know, Tom Osborne was his own offensive coordinator for, for 25 years, and and uh, I think people, you know, Frank tried to do that as well. People that have followed, coaches that have followed Tom have tried to do the same thing. And it, it's not easy. Uh, it's really difficult. And, I, you know, I think that that, you know, maybe Scott has, has understood that 
is that you've got to delegate uh, the, those responsibilities and not take as much uh, individual responsibility for the offense in his case. And that you know that's his that's his background as a quarterback here. You know, although I know he's got the defensive uh, background as well, but he's got to be the guy that oversees things. And if if there's an area like you said, special teams that needs some attention, then that's where he needs to put some attention and give some of the responsibility. Uh, for these other things to the coaches that are that are assigned to do that. So, um, you know, it's a learning experience for him, too. It isn't like he's been a head coach for a long time, and uh, there's some evolution involved in that, I believe, as well. And, again, you know, it's good to pattern yourself after, after your mentor, Tom Osborne, but you can't necessarily be what Tom Osborne was. Um, he was one of a kind. It was just unique what he was able to do. And, uh, you know, I think Scott understands that, and, you know, I think he's moving moving forward, making decisions. Just as you make decisions on the field, who's playing where and and uh, who gets the, the reps and so forth, I think you look at don't your, yourself and decide what it is that you need to do and how you need to change in order to get things done in an appropriate way. Babbers, uh, I think you just put it perfectly uh, with – you can you can pattern yourself, but you don't have to be. And there's only one to right. I mean, right. just with, exactly. with with how great he is and was as a as a play caller, but as a head coach, and and the record speaks for itself. Now I got about ten seconds. Are are you all dug out? Are you okay with snow right now? Um, yeah, I told Elijah. You know, the big thing was digging out our driveway, and after that, it's all good. Well. Be safe and healthy, and let that thing melt if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> you be safe as well, Smitty. Babbers, appreciate you. Good chat. Thanks for the time. Thanks. All right. Mike Babcock at MD Babs on Twitter. Follow him. Read him. HailVarsityMagazine.com. Mike Shuart. shoey has got some Bernie Mittens on. We'll talk next. And we're back. Fellas, I think we could listen to the radio listen. On Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome. Back with you, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbo, we say hello to Mike Shuart. Shuey, did you get any sledding done? Oh, my gosh. I got more uh, snow blowing done. So, so, didn't like that much. Now, did you uh, did you clear off the the, the, the green, at least, the, 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 the putting green to get some work in? I was trying to. There's a little too much snow out there. It might take a few days. No, I know. So how you hanging, man? You gotten some uh, some in, indoor facility work done with some folks? Uh, not yet. We just got the thing plowed out. So and so tomorrow. So tomorrow, hopefully, we get her back open and we can do a little indoor work and get back to business. That snow was a little too much. Shut us down for a few days. So have you ever golfed in snow? I have actually. So tell me that. When and where and how? How'd it go? It was actually in in a couple times, but one was in high school. We're playing districts, and I bet. <laughs> we were out playing. I was like on the sixth hole, and pretty soon you're hitting your putt, and he had a little snowman, little snowball starting to get formed. So that wasn't much fun. But the latest one was my first professional tournament ever. It was okay. at the Nebraska Open. We were playing the second round. And we made the turn, and it was raining and sleeting, and guys were quitting left and right. And I was 
in contention. So I had to play the last nine with somebody that walked around the last nine with me just to keep my score. And then we got done, we sat around, and then they got like 12 inches of snow that night. And then they had canceled the last round, so I ended up in a three-way tie for the lead. So I ended up winning my first professional event. How about that? You outlasted them, and just because you're you're uh, <laughs> kind of a badass, did you rip the sleeves off? Were you sleeveless? That's right. <laughs> Mike oh, yeah. Schuhart winning his first tournament in snow <laughs> in Nebraska without sleeves. I love it. So, Shuey, I, w- I got to get your take here on on some uh, of the football news the last twenty four hours or so, and you're a, a big uh, big red fan. What do you think of the the transfer portal uh, in reference to to Nebraska and, and losing a guy like McCaffrey? I'm a little concerned. I don't quite get it. I don't understand. You know, you have a couple of things that are very concerning. Is you have a team captain who enters the portal, which makes no sense to me. You have your face of your program enter the portal, and then you have the guy that's supposedly one of your best athletes that you're going to utilize enter the portal. So I don't, I don't understand all those things. You know, it's like there's got to be some more to the story than what's being told, why you have these people, these players that are, in prominent positions and doing things, leaving. It makes no sense. Shuey, with the portal, and, and you coached college ball a long time, and it was pre-portal, but, you know, can you imagine trying to deal with the portal? And it, it's trying to help the student-athlete out, but sometimes it's giving the student-athlete an out that isn't really what's best for him. It, it's It's... The minute you face adversity or you've had too much adversity or you're homesick or there's COVID or whatever the case, I mean, it's not a one-size-fits-all, so there are some examples that make sense. On the other hand, you've got a situation where kids really haven't faced adversity much in their life, uh, and, and they need to stand up and kind of try and power through, but now that door's open where they don't have to. Yeah, it's too easy of an out. I mean, there has to be there has to be more ramifications and more thought put into it. A why, and it's part of growing up. I mean, you make commitments to certain people and certain things. You have to somewhat honor those commitments, or at least do your best at at trying to make it work. But they've made it too easy to, to take an out. You know, just to go someplace else. I'm going to take my ball and go home because I don't like where I'm at. So. And it's like most cases, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's usually worse. But they're willing to take that, and they've made it very easy for them to do it, you know? And it's it's kind of sad, actually. Why do you think they've done it, NCAA? Uh, I think some of it is because the coaching, because the coaches can do it. Sure. I mean, there's no – you – you sign a contract and a long-term contract for to have a coach at your facility to build your program up, and it's, it's very easy for them to walk out. You know, I mean, it's, they they can just leave at any time at any moment. But you expect the kids to stick it out for four years when the coach doesn't have to. So it's doesn't make much sense. 
you know, the coaches need to be held accountable too for what it is they're doing, and they're not because the coaches can leave, and you fire them. They leave, and they have buyouts, and they're 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 making all this money doing nothing what they said they were supposed to do. So it goes both ways. What's on the uh, the radar golf wise here coming up? Anything of interest? I know we talked a little Tiger last week. Uh, Guys are gearing up again for another season uh, once things thaw out. No kidding. We've got to hope for the thaw out. We had some, <laughs> yeah, we had some uh, club fitting that we were going to do, but we might have to push that back. So we got a PXD, the popular club company, that was, we we're going to do some fittings with them and Mizuno. So we're going to start some of that stuff. This weather kind of put a cramp on a lot of things, unfortunately. I, I've got a couple of Mizuno hybrids that actually helped me hit it far and straight, Chewy. Nice. See? It's always about finding that right equipment. Well, uh, sure. I mean, it's just that that's been my problem all these years, right? That's right. <laughs> Not you. It's never you, man. It's always the equipment. So you got to keep finding the right equipment. As long as we've known each other, I've I've always said, I'm going to go visit Chewy. And... <laughs> And and I I do visit you. I just need to visit you like formally for some some, some golf one hundred and one because brother, you've been doing this for a long time. You're as great as it is, and I mean, you can see the joy when folks apply technique to their game, and it it makes it all worth wanting to go back and play about eighteen more, isn't it? No question, man. All it takes is that one good shot. Brings you back for more. That's the hope. And, uh, of course, uh, Wilderness Ridge now private. But, Shuey, folks, you got about 30 seconds here. Folks can get uh, information uh, from uh, Wilderness Ridge on membership. But also, the the grand plan is something to behold, correct? It is. It's going to be fantastic when it's all done. When we have our new pro shop, new academy built, have our pool built. Our members area, it's going to be a fantastic facility. So um, we got the start of our new pro shop and academy being built right now. So you can see the the main structure being put up. So we're super excited and can't wait to be able to get into it. Well, we're, we're excited for you, man, and can't wait for that swim-up bar. I'm going to put the wings on my arms and just make oh, yeah. sure I float and go get me a, 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 a tasty drink. Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Shuey, we'll, t- we'll uh, talk some Super Bowl next Wednesday, all right? All right. You guys take care. All right, buddy. Appreciate you. Good to chat. Mike Shuart with us, Hale Varsity Radio. We'll wind down Hour 1. Brad Edwards on the way. Open phones. Uh, a lot of Hour 2. Hale Varsity continues. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, it's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Uh, programming note, locally here in Lincoln, I'll have uh, basketball tonight. Number three, Omaha Scott. Number five, Pius, over at uh, 56th and A. Pius the 10th, and uh, we'll be over there on KFOR around 720 tonight. Uh, high school hoops, supposed to be last night, rescheduled to tonight. Excited to see uh, two teams that'll be uh, rocking it in state. Coach Spitchkin, Pius, phenomenal basketball, and Coach Jurgens and Scott. That's always 
really high-level program, kind of an A-B mixer tonight, so that'll be nice. Uh, reminder about your friends at West Blue Realty. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and surrounding communities. Are you going to move? You want a home? Uh, West Blue Realty is where you're going to need to go. And for a limited time, you mentioned Hale Varsity and West Blue Realty can provide you up to $1,000 off the closing of your next home purchase. Tom Luby can help. Tom was digging out of some snow along with Kelly Hofschneider. Give Tom a ring at 402-540-3768. Kelly Hofschneider. Kelly will answer that phone call at 402-202-2312. It pays to work with West Blue, westbluerealty.com, and uh, get a, an appointment set up. Go see the fellas, and they'll find that home for you, 1120 K Street, Suite 200. Now, uh, they do take care of you, too, if you have agricultural land. Uh, they are so good and experienced at selling ag land. They have uh, gotten an auctioneer. They can handle anything from live auctions to sealed bids to general Land listings, they've sold land all over the great state of Nebraska, Odo County, Seward, Lancaster. They have a large radius there to help. Again, westbluerealty.com. So you did what with your snow day yesterday, Elijah? whole bunch of nothing. Watched some Narcos on Netflix. Um, did a little Spanish homework. Okay. Really? While, while you were watching Narcos? Yeah, it really helps, actually. kind of does. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, I know the, the Spanish word for... Baño, cerveza, and uh, kilo. Yes, yes. Kilo mostly. Kilo, I've got down pat. Got that See, one figured I, out. I started watching Narcos. I need to get back into it, but I started a, a while ago. My wife's watching this cartel show on Netflix where it's now in English... And the lips and the sound are way off. Oh, it's like dubbed? Y- yeah, and I forget what it's called, but like the first scene I sat down and there was gratuitous nudity. And I- I'm so proud of her. <laughs> After 20 years being together, uh, she is now kind of in that, that neighborhood, that ballpark where, hey, it's three seconds into this streaming Netflix show and someone's making it rain. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> So I sat down next to her. I was like, oh, sweet. Uh, are you offended by this? Or is this just something that's kind of your new thing now? And she's like, no, I, I, I put up with the, uh, the dubbing, the, the nudity side of things. Well, whatever. But don't get any ideas, fatty. Mm, mm. See, Fifty Shades of Grey just really changed the movie landscape. What's well, like... She loved all that stuff. Of course she did. Now now she watches Netflix, and Netflix is just pretty much like softcore. I, I still I still have not seen Fifty Shades, because that's uh, the Sonny Crockett's daughter, right? Johnson? I have no idea. I, I, know, I stayed away from that. Oh, My well. mom didn't let me read that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, <laughs> I stayed away from that. That's pretty good. All right, uh, we'll check in. Brad Edwards, College Football Insider. Plenty to talk about next hour with Hale Varsity. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. 
Back with you, Hour 2 at Tale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and uh, excited to chat with uh, college football insider and uh, a guy who knows the SEC and all things uh, pigskin, Brad Edwards with us, at Edwards on Twitter. Brad, how's your Wednesday going? We got about 4 million feet of snow here in Nebraska. I'm sure you're shedding a tear for us. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little jealous, actually. We we got three inches yesterday, and, you know, it was just enough for the kids to have a two-hour delay with the bus this morning, but not much more than that. So, uh, yeah, that's a real event. Yeah, 14 and a half inches, Brad. Uh, don't be too jealous. It's been it's been entertaining, is, is, <laughs> is how we'll put it. But uh, a lot of college football things to, to hit on. I want to get your take here. On, on the transfer portal, specifically with Nebraska, uh, you had uh, two, uh, two of the three kids who left yesterday were uh, names you know. Of course, Cade Warner, son of Kurt Warner, and uh, Luke McCaffrey, uh, son of Ed McCaffrey. And, and Farniak was uh, uh, the younger brother of, of, of a captain and, and three-year starter on the offensive line. And Nebraska fans have, have been freaking out like there's bigger – issues something uh, mysterious and wrong going on with the program and while it's not one on the field uh and there's been some issues with transfers be it wandale robinson or jd spielman or now luke mccaffrey and, and Cade warner uh there seems to be a feel by others that you know, nebraska is going to finally kind of nail down an identity on offense and and be better next year with a difficult schedule. The The blame game's been popular the last 24 hours. Is it the coaching? Is it the kid? Or is it the portal? You've had to follow in your career with the portal popping up just the amount of of attrition that's gone on. And do you ever see this pendulum swinging back by the NCAA? Will they realize that, oh, no, this has been disastrous for coaches and roster management? Or... Do you think it's just going to be something that, that staffs and coaches and, and programs have to adapt to uh, moving forward? I think for the most part, they're just going to have to adapt to it. I, I do think that the worst of it was always going to be this year, the, the first year that was in it, that it was in effect, um, because now you're, you're looking at a much larger number of people um, who are going to be interested in doing it because they weren't able to do it last year or the year before you know, that typically they're, they're going to be spaced out more. So I think uh, that's part of it. And then, you know, every situation is different. Now, there, there's no question that when you have all this happen at one place at one time, it, it's an indication that something is wrong. Now, um, there are different ways that things can be wrong. I mean, the other, the other program that's, you know, right there with Nebraska as far as losing a lot of, you know, important players to the, the transfer portal is Tennessee. But with Tennessee, it's, it's very easy to understand why those guys are leaving. You know, they just fired their coach. You're looking at possible sanctions. Um, they, uh, they, they weren't that good anyway. And so um, it's easy to look at, at that program and see why, okay, these guys know they're never going to win a championship uh, if they stay there. So, you know, they're going to go, you know, try to find greener pastures or whatever it may be with Nebraska. It is, it is harder to kind of put your finger on it. And it could be different for every guy. I mean, with McCaffrey, um, anytime as a quarterback who 
is is looking at a position where he might not be the starter. Um, you know, at any of these big time schools, that's going to be uh, probably the more likely scenario is that they're going to transfer out. We see it every single year all over the country. And so I would think, you know, his situation is probably different from some of the other guys. And so you got to kind of take all of it into account. Um, but I, I think, I think the only way that you're going to see any kind of adjustments to this rule by the NCAA would be if we see some cases where uh, a coach either is fired or a coach decides to, you know, leave on his own. Either way, you know, a, a brand new coach comes in and like half the roster decides I'm not staying. You know, I, that that's kind of the unintended consequence of this that a lot of people have said could happen. We haven't seen anything close to that yet, but it, it's still very possible. And I think that that's where you really start to worry about what this rule is doing because as, as bad as Nebraska's situation might be, can you imagine losing, you know, 15 starters and, and, you know, eight others on the two deep and, you know, be down to 50 scholarship players. I mean, that's, it, it's not quite the death penalty, but it's getting close to it as far as the impact of the program. And that's only supposed to happen to, you know, to, to, to teams and programs that have done something wrong. Well, and, and the, the NCAA will never go SMU on anybody again. Uh, I mean, I look at Ole Miss and the U free scandal and they missed one, one postseason. They they got ripped a few scholarships, but they rehired Lane, and it wasn't so detrimental that they weren't bowl. And I know everybody got to bowl this year, but the point is, is Ole Miss as an, as a recent example, right? Wasn't decimated to the point where they couldn't go compete. They weren't going to beat Bama two out of three years uh, anytime soon. But they were they were in contention and, and were able to compete in their SEC West. When I talk Tennessee here, grade the hire of Heupel, and what's that say to you? Uh, of course, Danny White going from Central Florida, got the AD job at Tennessee. And, I mean, the, the people who interviewed for this thing, Franklin from Penn State, Fickle from Cincy, um, interviewed slash there was a, an olive branch extended, Fleck from Minnesota, yeah. Sonny Dykes from SMU, and – Tony Elliott from Clemson, and he was kind of hemming and hawing per reports over the weekend. Do I leave Clemson and get my own gig, or do I stay? Because I know South Carolina came after him as all, and I came after him as well. But you have White go with what he knows, and a guy who did pretty well at Central Florida. What do you think, big picture here? Uh, I, I would give the hire a C, and um, a, a lot of that has to do with I just I have not been impressed with what Heupel's done at UCF. You know, obviously, you weren't going to top an undefeated season, which is which is what he took over the program uh, after uh, with with Scott Frost. But I I still think he's underperformed based on the talent he has relative to the rest of the conference he's in. I I think um, the last two years that his record probably should have been a little bit better than it was, and that doesn't mean that you know that he completely let it slide, but I, I, I think the program took a step back in three years under him. I think it's three. Um, and so, um, you know, could they have done better, though? That's the question. How many of those guys really wanted the job and how many they were just kind of, you know, begging to take it and maybe if they were able to, you know, back up the truck with enough money, might have. 
Um, but I don't think Tennessee's in that position. So it, it very well could be that they got the the best guy they could get under the circumstances. Um, but it, it is interesting when you look at the timing of it. And the same week, Alabama hired a better coach to be its offensive line guy, mm-hmm. you know, than, than Tennessee did to lead its whole program. So, uh, and I realize Bama's kind of the exception, the rule where you <laughs> where you got a former NFL head coach running the offensive line, but still, um, I, I I don't know. It just it just it kind of I think underscores where Tennessee is right now, and and how much of a struggle it's going to be. And of course, I mean, well, part of this for Tennessee is that not only are you going to have to pay someone um, good money in order to take the job, but you're going to have to guarantee them a certain number of years in order to take the job because this is not going to be a quick fix. Brad, Danny White said after he made the hire, or after the news came out, that uh, Heupel was the uh, the first and only guy that they offered the job to uh, in this coaching search. And, and if I had a dollar for every time I heard an AD say that, I'd probably be rich. Right. But in this case, do you believe him? And, I, I mean, I, I was kind of hearing what you were saying, thinking, I mean, you'd think that they probably would have tried other options, but do, do you believe him when he says that that was the only guy they were going after? Well, I don't because he was at UCF with Frost and then he watched what happened in the program with Heupel. And while, yes, he did hire Heupel and so he um, has some sort of connection there, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a guy who's he's made some really good hires in, in his career as an AD. And, and so I, I certainly wouldn't suggest that he doesn't know what he's doing because there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Um, but it would, and I guess because of that, it would really surprise me if what he's seen out of Josh Heupel the last three years just told him everything he needed to know that this is the guy to come in and, and not only compete um, in a conference where you have to face Alabama every year, but in a division with, with Georgia and Florida. I mean, that, that to me um, seems like a stretch, but uh, how many times have we heard <laughs> – an AD say something like that, and you just you you know there's coach speak, and then there's AD speak, and <laughs> so I, I think I think we all know it when we hear it. And then of course there's another side of this, which is, you know, I, look, even if he wasn't the first choice, and no AD is going to say that, um, unless there's a long drawn out process, nobody really knows how many others there were, you know, before. Even if you don't know how many, you you at least would know that the guy that they ended up settling on was nowhere close to their first pick. And so th- this timetable didn't play out that way where there's no question that a bunch of other guys had the offer before Heupel. Um, and, you know, I-, I can think of very many cases where a program didn't get its first choice and he ended up being the best guy for the job and, and you know, one of the best coaches in the country when all was said and done. And so uh, just like recruiting is an inexact science, I think coach hiring is to some degree an inexact science. But, um Danny White's been pretty good at it throughout his career, but this one is kind of a, a head-scratcher, although we don't have enough information to know for sure how difficult it was to even get people to listen. thing I'll think about with Danny White is uh, Lance Leopold at Buffalo is an assistant yep. at Nebraska, and Lance is kind of a guy that, that just lost out to Bielema at Illinois, and I was wondering if if Danny was going to go uh, check in with, with Lance and bring him to Tennessee, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Uh, and then you also have the Frost hire that was really good at Central Florida. 
And even uh, with Heupel, I mean, Heupel did well as a coordinator at Missouri. I know he got blown out at, at Oklahoma, but OU had some success as well with him as a coordinator. So I think the, the word is settled. I think that's uh, you, you got who you could get, and we'll see where Tennessee goes with it. Brad, I sent you a, kind of a breakdown that I saw on Twitter today of uh, AAC coaches that were hired away for big-time programs. Norvell at Florida State, Diaz, Temple to Miami, Collins, Temple to Georgia Tech, Chad Morris to Arkansas from SMU, Frost, of course, at Nebraska, Matt Rule now in the NFL, but left Temple for Baylor, Herman, Houston to Texas, Willie Taggart, uh, South Florida to Oregon, and then Fuente from Memphis to Virginia Tech. Combined winning percentage of all those AAC coaches that were there, and, and uh, of the of the nine, five have been fired, is uh, 47%. All of these guys looked incredible in the AAC, and it was a pretty deep and decent league. But when they jumped to Power Five, man, they've struggled. Why, why do you think that is? I, I don't know. I mean, there. I don't see any common theme there, other than that they were all of the AAC. And I, and I will throw in the, the the one guy who really doesn't belong on that list is one of the few that has a winning record, and that's Manny Diaz because he never actually coached a game at Temple. He, no. he was a defensive coordinator at Miami, and he took the Temple head coaching job. And then a couple of weeks later, Mark Rick left after the bowl game, and he came back and and. No, I mean he was only he was only the coach for a couple of weeks, and then he came back to Miami. So, um, so, so he shouldn't even count. And if you take away his winning record, the, it's a lot worse for that group. <laughs> so, so why? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the American is a is a really good conference, and it's clearly the you know the sixth best conference in the country. It's the best of the of the group of five, and it's a lot of competition there. And so, if you're winning a lot of games in that conference. Um, it's a it's a sign that that you're a good coach, but for whatever reason, there there doesn't seem to always be this connection between winning at that level and then winning at the major conference level. And as much as we you know we want to remember the success stories, the guys like you know Urban Meyer going from from Utah. Of course, the, the, the younger people in the audience might not remember Utah was was in the Mountain West mm-hmm. at the time when when Meyer went from Utah to Florida. Um, and, uh, and then there, there are others that would fall into that category. Um, but, um, you remember those, um, but, but you don't necessarily remember all the ones that failed. And so that was why I thought that list was really fascinating because these are all very recent hires, uh, from, from the AAC to the power five. Really? I mean, you look at the Mac jump, I mean, Saban and Campbell and urban, uh, are the guys from the Mac that, that made the jump, of course, Lance, is in the MAC now after Lance Leipold after doing work at Wisconsin Whitewater and I think 109 to six or some crazy number like that. So it was his record there. So I mean, history speaks for itself. With if, if you win uh, and win convincingly and win at all your stops, that's just kind of what you are as a as a coach. But sometimes that you jump know, jump is tough. Go ahead. One of the things that, that occurs to me as you're saying this, Chris, is that is that with the group of five there is typically very little gap in in the amount of talent that you're able to recruit right mm-hmm. like like in a given year like under or a given few years like some coaches might recruit better than others but they're pretty much all getting you know two and three star guys right mm-hmm. i mean it's it's 
nobody's bringing in four stars. And, and so it's, I mean, maybe UCF did. But, but for the most part, they're all on a very similar level of talent. They're, they're better than FCS, but, but most of them are not group of five level talent. And so it really comes down to coaching. Like a lot of times at that level, coaching is what's going to make the difference between whether you win or lose. Whereas you get to the power five and coaching is still important, but recruiting becomes a lot more important because there's a much greater chance of being able to separate yourself from the pack. Uh, in talent, you know, where if you look at, you know, the, the very best recruiters in the country, I mean, obviously you look at Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, how much they've separated from their conferences in talent. And, and, and by the way, Alabama's done it in the most talented conference that there, there is in college football. Um, and, and so that to me might be what the difference is. It's, it's, it's just the, the change in the overall importance of recruiting to being able to win, where it might not be as big of a deal in the group of five, but it becomes even more pronounced when you get up to the power five. Good stuff, Brad Edwards. Brad, we'll get you a shout next week. Thanks for the time today. You got it. Take care. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, and uh, just a really cool conversation with Brad Edwards. And we ran out of time and went a little long there, so forgive me on that. But this is an interesting conversation because when when you make a hire or you you fire somebody, you want to go get that next hot young coach that is a proven winner. And was Urban Meyer going to go from from Bowling Green to Utah? And kill it. Well, he did, right? He went undefeated. He had Alex Smith that was the number one pick overall. And then as soon as he got from Utah, I mean, bang, the the Ohio State because a tattoo gate opened up. Wasn't that long ago, Urban Meyer's on the sidelines with a polo uh, under Bob Davey as a wide receivers coach at Notre Dame. I mean, he was on the sidelines when Nebraska invaded South Bend. You look at Chip Kelly, kind of an unknown new wave tempo speed wow offensive mind that's is it i think it's new hampshire right was he new hampshire vermont new hampshire i'm knocking off top of my head you want me to look it up for you please because i'm 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 doing well with the new england states right now (laughs) but the point is is oregon went out and found the next wow dude it's new hampshire thank you Right. And, and, you know, Ryan Day's a New Hampshire guy and, and you had this new influx and in influence. Right. And, and back in the day, Coach Darlington and Coach McBride would tell you about the, the one back offense where you have three wide and one back. And that's what Washington ran for a championship. And that's what Colorado switched to. And that's what Miami was running pro style, throw the football, have one back and three wide outs and let your slot go crush some linebacker or safety. Well, as we fast forward to the AAC, that league has been awesome, and it's been knocking on the door. And the guy now that's kind of the the best, and you're wondering when and if he'll take a jump, is Luke Fickle, right? He's Cincinnati. And Fickle did his time at Ohio State, has been a longtime assistant, was kind of their interim coach before Urban took over. 
didn't wreck the car, right? Clearly kept Ohio State decent, and then Urban rolled with it. But to Brad Edwards' commentary, and we'll, we'll run that back in a second, do these guys get better jobs and offers because they're winning? Yes. But are they that good at X's and O's and coaching and developing, or were they just totally locked in with a fertile recruiting area and so much so where there was a lot, and I'm not calling these guys hack players at all. I am not. But I'm saying if you're coaching in Florida or you're coaching in Texas or you're coaching in the northeast part of the country and, and Rutgers is down and Penn State's in a bit of a transition, let's just look at historically, there's a lot of leftovers, a lot of guys that didn't get recruited or didn't get paid attention to or didn't get developed they ended up playing at a high level or the other side of it. They got developed. They were diamonds in the rough. They got found out and they completely got maximized and they were part of a good deep roster. And I think of some of those Temple teams under rule, right, where those guys are in the league. I think of Scott Frost and some of the kids he had. Those guys, he's got a lot of kids in the league. And I look at those Houston teams, Ed Oliver and company, those Houston teams were great. And those Houston teams beat Oklahoma. They they it, Frost beat Auburn. So on a given Saturday, talent-wise, and when it comes to coaching and matching X's and O's and scheming and putting a game plan together, these guys showed, specifically Herman and Frost and Rule, because Rule, Rule kicked ass at Baylor right after their own bleep show with uh, with their previous coach Art Bryles with with a good old good old Uncle Art okay so and then rules obviously made the jump to the NFL but I, I don't know if it's chicken or egg if if guys just won a good league with superior talent or if they were able to to just be able to win on talent alone and it didn't take much coaching in comparison to what it does take at a power five level when you're going up against Fleck when you're going up against and and Fleck's own example from the Mac as well we kind of highlighted some of the Mac all-stars it's tough to tell and I think you're you're finding out that Fuente is he in over his head? He's 10, 10 games over 500, but he isn't cranking out 10, 11 win seasons like he was at Memphis. It's clearly a major jump and a bigger gap between that, that power five versus group of five. It, it just is. And a lot of these guys were taken on programs that needed to be resurrected. Texas needed to get back to winning 12 games a year. Bang. Herman didn't do it. They've moved on. Fuente is, is I don't even want to say safe, at Virginia Tech, but they stuck with him. And you know the the frustration that there is with Scott Frost in Nebraska, right? I mean, 12 and 20 is what it is. Do they get it flipped around here because of what they walked into? Uh, I, I look at, at Taggart, who <laughs> South Florida's a good football team, and then he went to Oregon, and then he didn't didn't handle it well at Florida State. Mike Norvell, man, I mean, that guy's – 
just one season in at three and six after Jimbo left. Uh, you know, Manny Diaz, we'll see how long he lasts at Miami. Chad Morris, I mean, he's back to being an OC because he won four games. He was four and 18 at Arkansas. Tough, tough gig. And, and Chad Morris was killing it at SMU because he was the offensive coordinator for Dabo and Clemson. Here's what Brad Edwards had to say uh, about that group of five and uh, Power Five jump, specifically with the AC, AAC. He had a long list of coaches that haven't performed well at their bigger and badder and next stop. One of the things that, that occurs to me as you're saying this, Chris, is that, is that with the group of five, there is typically very little gap in, in the amount of talent that you're able to recruit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like in a given year, like under or a given few years, like some coaches might recruit better than others, but they're pretty much all getting, you know, two and three star guys, right? I mean, it's, it's nobody's bringing in four stars. And, and so it's, I mean, maybe UCF did, but, but for the most part, they're all on a very similar level of talent. They're, they're better than FCS, but, but most of them are not group of five level talent. And so, it really comes down to coaching. Like a lot of times at that level, coaching is what's going to make the difference between whether you win or lose. Whereas you get to the power five and coaching still important, but recruiting becomes a lot more important because there's a much greater chance of being able to separate yourself from the pack uh, in talent. You know, where if you look at, you know, the, the very best recruiters in the country, I mean, obviously you look at Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, how much they've separated from their conferences in talent. And, and, and by the way, Alabama's done it in the most talented conference that there, there is in college football. Um, and, and so that, to me, might be what the difference is. It's, it's, it's just the, the change in the overall importance of recruiting to being able to win, where it might not be as big of a deal in the group of five, but it becomes even more pronounced when you get up to the power five. That's interesting. You're on a level playing field with a bunch of two-and-a-half, three, three-and-a-half-star dudes in the AAC typically. So it comes down to coaching. You jump to the to the Power Five. Uh, coaching's important. Are you getting outcoached? Are you able to outcoach your opponent? And, oh, yeah, by the way, what's your differentiation with the amount of talent you're bringing in? And if they can go execute and run what you want to run and your talent matches your scheme, look out your Ohio state, look out your Alabama, look out your Clemson. But I think they could run whatever the hell they want with the talent in NFL and depth by the way, and go kill it. Everybody else is still chasing it. And, and that's the key man is adjusting to, a league of really good coaches, and there are in the Big Ten. Every sideline has money, money coaches. They do. And then what's your talent level like? And then are you maximizing and developing talent if you're not getting talent in the door that can play and ball from the word jump? Ohio State has that mixture of high-level talent, and then they develop, and then they have depth. Not everybody's in that same boat. Fleck develops pretty well. James Franklin's had some high flyers, a lot of NFL talent. Uh, I look at Pat Fitzgerald in Northwestern. He gets the super smart kids that are really good ball players. But man, they are 
they are they are uh, forged in fire with that intensity and physicality. And then I look at Nebraska; they're doing better with their talent acquisition. They're doing better with their development on the lines, and they've done well, but they've not retained some of that skill position talent. And, and it's got to be a lot tougher in the Big Ten to be figuring out the best ways to utilize your talent on the field once you get it. I mean, um, down at UCF, you get a room full of 10 three-star guys, and you can just kind of look at practice and go, well, this guy's a difference maker. I don't care where you came from. I'm going to play this guy at running back. But now you, you come to Nebraska, and you're having high four-stars, low four-stars going up against you know Nebraska walk-ons. And you say, well, this four-star is uh, – just a better, just a better talent. Just, just a better athlete, better talent. But the, what this uh, this walk on show me in practice is more. So then it, you have more, you know, issues like that as a coach that you may have not had to deal with at UCF. Well, you, have, you have choices. I mean, you, you've got to you got to be able to to know how to use that talent. Is what we're saying exactly. And and, and to use that talent and and kind of harness it and then drill down on all right. Let's use the talent. And here's how we're going to use it. We get back into the big identity discussion. Right? It's all part of it. Uh, what happens when you have a busted fibula and you still play in the playoffs? Uh, well, you're a man. We'll do a jock doc next. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut Pre-teen Swedish boy. Back into it at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Ben Woodhead with us. Dr. Ben, as uh, we gear towards the Super Bowl, man, a lot of ball happening. How are you? I'm doing well. Looking forward to it. How are you, Chris? I'm good. I'm excited about this Super Bowl matchup. And you know what? Uh, Buffalo scored the first nine. Well, they scored the last nine. And in between, Casey put uh, a 36 spot up. And one of the, the main weapons this year for Buffalo and Josh Allen was Cole Beasley. And uh, I know he was limping around a bit. But, man, the guy played three postseason games on a partially broken fibula. Uh, Chuck Norris is saying, wow. <laughs> I know. It's kind of amazing. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, what they'll put up with just to compete, it surely shows just the type of mentality that a lot of these guys have. Well, Beasley suffered the injury uh, in, in week 16 against the Patriots and uh, missed the, the finale against the, the Dolphins. But kind of take us through uh, what what Beasley was dealing with and specifically the, the the nature of the injury and how how a guy can still go run routes and set the edge like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not sure how a guy can have a big injury like that and still compete at the level that he does. Um, you know, the fibula is the bone on the outside of the ankle, and then it goes all the way up to the knee. And so you can actually break it in a couple, couple different spots. Um, depending on where he broke it, you know, kind of dictates whether there's going to be a surgical solution or whether he can, you know, normally get back to weight bearing as tolerated and gradually start activity. Um, but either way, when people fracture it, usually you don't jump back into sports, you know, next day or the day after. So he's truly remarkable for what he did. Dr. Ben Woodhead's with us. Uh, Hail Bar City Radio at Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. So the commentary from Beasley, 
is look nothing that needs to be surgically repaired. It's not a full break. Uh, it was bad the first game, but after that, I took a few meds and sucked it up. <laughs> well, uh, good on him. But are we talking more of a of a hairline or a chip type deal? If he was able to go. Yeah, that's likely what it is. Or oftentimes, um, athletes and and folks will break up kind of more towards their knee, and that's something where you can certainly get back to weight bearing sooner than later. However, you know, if he were to take another hit or if he were to hit it just right, I mean, he could certainly break it worse or displace the fracture. That's what you're always dealing with is even if it's a partial or a hairline fracture, you know, he obviously broke his normal bone with a with some type of hit, and if that's already compromised and he takes a bigger hit while playing, he certainly can do a lot more damage, which may ultimately lead into a surgery. Ben, let's get into that. If it would have been worse and the procedure would have been necessary, let's go down that road real quick and just uh, from the repair standpoint, what what you guys are facing. Yeah, so if he does have a fibula fracture down by the ankle, most oftentimes that requires a plate and a screws, which requires an open incision, um, a period of non-weight bearing where you're waiting for the bone to heal. Generally, it's about six weeks. There's really no way to cheat the system and, and get that bone to heal sooner than that. And so it's this graduated recovery where you're gradually getting back to weight bearing and you're gradually getting back into the running type of um, situation. But that is much longer than a one-week, two-week, three-week process. We're looking at a three to four to five month process of healing after surgery when it comes to plates and screws uh, that that region how is it with blood flow and healing because i know when, when it comes to plates and screws that can obviously aid and, and get you back to normal but also there's been instances where uh there's been uh recurring issues because of, of blood flow problems absolutely yeah so you know, the foot and kind of the ankle region historically does not have as great a blood flow for blood flow for wound healing, and sometimes after surgery that can be a problem. Generally, the bones will heal. Um, however, though, if you are having to go in with surgery and fix it with plate and screws, those plate and screws are only providing support until the bone heals, and so that's why you can't really cut any corners and get back to running or. Um, basically any type of activity sooner than the bone heals because you're relying on that man-made implant or the metal and screws to hold your bone and keep your weight bearing um, up and it just it just doesn't work out like that the plates and screws will fail if you go back too early and the bone hasn't healed dr ben woodhead's with us lincoln orthopedic center at jock doc wednesday cole beasley our topic the guy got it out three games with a partially broken fibula and uh, he wasn't going to watch any playoff action. He was going to med up and be out there. What are some of the types of meds that you can turn to if you're still able to go function and play even with a broken or partially dinged-up fibula? Yeah. Uh, you know, what they're actually doing in the training room, sometimes it's, it's hard to tell. But, you know, I'm imagining he was on high-dose anti-inflammatories like an ibuprofen or something maybe even a little bit stronger that's not a narcotic. A lot of those guys as well before games will also take shots of anti-inflammatories like a Toradol um, or something like that that's going to help the inflammation as they start swelling while they're playing. And a lot of times that'll get them through the game. Um, really shouldn't have much more from a medication standpoint than, than the Tylenol or the anti-inflammatories. Um, but 
there's a lot of creams and other types of herbal type of remedies that I'm sure a lot of these guys are using just to try and get any edge they can. So some of that uh, alternative stuff could could numb it pretty well so you don't even feel it. Is that is that the goal? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if any of us normal folks were still having an injury like that, I don't know if there's much that you can do to numb it. But I'm, I'm imagining that he still had a considerable amount of pain and just played through it because he's that type of individual. That's what it sounds like. So as, as we look at Cole Beasley, as he heads into the offseason, rest and recovery but as far as a rehab standpoint what are some things that he can start doing to to get back to being a good slot guy on third and eight as long as he didn't displace the fracture more or complete the fracture uh healing time is really the most important that he can or the most important thing that he can do in the short term you know if he gives a few weeks four to six weeks to really let that bone recover and heal you know he should be able to come back as strong or stronger than ever as long as he rehabs appropriately and you can bet that they'll have their therapist and their trainers and everybody um all over him from that standpoint when you when you ding your fibula is there a a higher chance of re-injury with it as long as he lets the bone heal he should be fine um you know there's that early period after the injury where the bone is not going to be as strong as uh it once was but you know over months and you know, ultimately years, he should get back to his baseline. Dr. Ben Woodhead's with us. Hail Varsity Radio at Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. And uh, we're talking Cole Beasley. Uh, got a few uh, seconds left. If I don't talk to you next week, do you have a Super Bowl prediction for me? Gosh, it's so hard to bet against Tom Brady. Everything I wanted to believe was that he wasn't the best, but he really has shown with Tampa <laughs> that he, he might actually, you know, he might have been the machine that made that thing roll up in New England, but I like I like Mahomes. I think Kansas City and what Andy Reid is doing out there. I actually I actually think Kansas City is the team to beat this year again. Don't disagree. And KC's pretty tough, and uh, that's going to be a monster defensive effort by uh, by Tampa and Sue and company. Doctor Ben, you take care. Thanks for the time. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time on a Wednesday again. If you want to hear some high school ball tonight, I'll be over on KFOR at 720. Elijah will be Running the show over at KFOR, Pius and Scott, the uh, battle on 56th and A Street. Should be pretty awesome. Coach Spitchkin, Pius, as good as it gets in Class A. We'll take on uh, Class B, Scott. Scott ranked third in uh, in B, Pius in at number five. So, good stuff. Tim Bob Kitzmiller uh, on the call with me tonight. 466-3776, 4667 Seven six eight hundred eight two five five eight six five numbers to get in. Elijah, what's on the uh, the dinner docket tonight? I always ask uh, you and, and Damon what I'm interested. Whether it's hamburger helper or tacos or meatloaf or whatever the hell you're doing. Well, I'm going to be here, so you're going to run and get some sort of. Uh, so I'll probably run and get some drive through. I could go home and make. I have some smoked turkey in my fridge. I could run home and make myself a turkey sandwich. But I'm not sure if I want to deal with trying to drive that far, especially with the neighborhoods at how they are. Mm-hmm. So I think it's. Uh, Can I make a, a suggestion? And please, it's not by an all endorsement. Means. 
because they don't advertise with us, but they're they're good folks. You ever been to? Um, help me out here, Virginia's. Oh, you're just pointing. I'm like, I don't know what you're pointing to. I just. Oh yeah, um, Virginia's. I've never been. I've heard really good things. I have a lot of friends who. I've, I mean, that's they're like what 200 feet from us right now. They are, and and the point of the story is if we ever get Butch back on, that's something you need to work on. Is he a- Butch, Butch Cotton. I think I think Butch on Sunday mornings with his offensive lineman buddies would probably eat Virginia's uh, f- scrambled or or sunny side up eggs out of stock. Oh man, I, I mean, I think they're pancakes. I was gonna say eggs and pancakes, or that's what you judge a, a breakfast placed on. How are I, eggs I and pancakes? think I think you you judge. Ooh, that's a good call. Because I, I judge Chinese places on their hot and sour soup. Okay, that's fair. I, I judge pizza joints on their crust. Yes. I judge... Uh, what, what, what do you judge a burger place on? Like, what, what, what toppings do you get in your burger to get, like, the most... Like, what, it, like, to, to boil down the burger place into its bro, essence? Bro, I, I, I need size. Okay. And I need saltiness. Yes, that's... Obviously, and I the the place we've been going for burgers. This place has all sorts of bacon, mm-hmm. and then a pork belly, and then some sort of bacon jam with some onion on it. <laughs> it's so good. See, my my thought, and I know that's super like pinky in the air. <laughs> you just give me a burger, and you know, Junior's like, give me give me ketchup, give me cheese, give me a burger done but if i'm gonna spend 12 bucks on a burger dude i mean i'm gonna gonna do it real quick about buckling up 70 percent of fatal crashes in nebraska are the result of you not wearing a seat belt if used properly seat belts can reduce the risk of fatal injury by 60 percent your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the nebraska department of highway safety office but burgers it's just got to be sweet and juicy mm-hmm See, I, I but think breakfast, you got to go, how, how are the biscuits and gravy and how are the hash browns? And do they have magic toast? Ooh, that's good. That's good. Highway no. Diner, a legend. No, it, it, so get your snowshoes on. 